Du lyssnar på poddversionen av ett program från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Radio UF at Student Radio 98,9. We've seen a lot of things go down the last semester since, yeah, the start of 2022. It is understandable that our focus are placed on the current armed conflict in Ukraine. And I, for one, know that the last week here has been focused on Sweden and Finland's requests for NATO membership, as well as the recent news regarding access to abortion in the US and LGBT rights. Yet, here at Radio UF, we seek to have a holistic view on international politics, and we therefore like to look at the multitude of happenings in international news. And um, this episode, we would like to report on some news that might have passed you by from regions you might not get regular updates from at the best of times. The studio would, however, feel empty if it was only me here. So therefore, I'm happy to introduce this week's co-host and technician, Sara. Hi, uh, my name is Sara and I'm here today also with Melke. Great to have you here. And I would like to ask, do you have any special interest country, like a country that you follow kind of more closely than others? I think recently it's been a lot of focus on the South Caucasus region. I don't really know why, but for some reason I really wanted to go to Armenia and then I got really into those countries. So that's where I am. What about you, Melker? I don't think Philadelphia counts as a country, but <laughs> probably Philadelphia. But uh, also there's so many interesting um, engineering projects in Ethiopia, for example, the Grand European Renaissance mm. Dome and the Mexican train line. That is an utter disaster, but that's an episode in itself. Okay, well, we'll be right back after this song. You just heard Heaven Midday by Veronica Maggio, the best Swedish artist in existence. We are Radio UF at Student Radio 98,9. And if it was unclear, we are talking about underreported news from across the globe. And we're going to start by heading to the southeast, aren't we? Yes, we are. And Melker, I have a question for you. Do you know whose birthday it is on Friday? Ah, no, no idea. Uh, well, it's uh, not mine, thanks for asking, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe birthday is the wrong word. But on May 20th, the island nation East Timor celebrates 20 years of independence. So I thought it would be interesting to look into that country today. East Timor is an island nation in Southeast Asia, or it's actually only a part of an island, the eastern part of the island of Timor. And Timor, by the way, derives from the Malay word for east. So the country is basically called East-East. Yeah. <laughs> the other half, the western, is a part of uh, Indonesia. And this is a rest from the times that the island was colonized, uh, because the western part was a Dutch colony, while the eastern part was a Portuguese one. And in 1975, East Timor declared independence from Portugal, but that only lasted for like a few months, because in December of that year, Indonesia attacked and took control of the whole island. 
and Indonesia occupied East Timor for around 25 years, and the nation also had experienced a short Japanese occupation during World War II. So a lot of big, powerful actors have had a stake in this uh, country and in this conflict, but now the small country locked in between Indonesia and Australia is standing on its own. And I don't know, I just think it's so interesting how like they're uniting because there are so many different people groups and different languages spoken and cultures on this little island. And mm-hmm. they're really like uniting them to create a state that has only been existing for 20 years. No, that's um, less than the time I've been alive. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so I thought we could take a little closer look on what's going on in East Timor today. Uh, Because the country also held elections in March this year and the democratic situation in East Timor, at least in terms of election, is uh, actually pretty stable because the elections are considered free and fair by international observers. But it seems like the people that are participating in higher politics are part of like one clique that has been active for a long time. So for instance, the person who was elected president in the latest election, his name is José Ramos Horta, and he has been both prime minister and president before. And he was also an important figure in the fight for independence, and he was actually awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1996. So yeah, although there seems to be pretty much the same group of people participating now as in previous elections ever since the independence, the most recent election saw a record number of candidates, namely 16 different ones, and four of them were women. That that was also a, a record. There are some other important issues that this young country is dealing with that I thought could be interesting to mention here. The country has large oil reserves in the Timor Sea, a body of water between the island and Australia. But the country does not have an oil refinery, so the exports are only crude oil. And then they have to import refined petroleum for some larger than what they export the crude oil for. Then they can sell this on, of course, but it's clear that this industry requires a vast amount of resources to make it more efficient. And for a country with like 42% of the population living under the national poverty line, it will be interesting to see which way the country chooses to go. We will uh, be right back, but now it's time for music. Welcome back. You just heard Supermodel by Mukestun, M-K-S-T-N. And we are talking about some international news. And now bear with me, listener, because we are about to slip back into discussion Ukraine. And in a way, discussing neutrality on the world stage, whatever that means. And sticking to our geographical focus, I will look at the situation in India and how Prime Minister Modi's government has responded to the current war in Ukraine. India has since the start of the war remained neutral in the conflict, at least on paper, condemning the conflict and calling for consolation between the actors. Yet, in action, India has begun to lean slightly towards Russia. And this could appear to go against India's long-running history of non-aligned foreign policy. Yet non-aligned does not mean that a country does not have their own wants, or that they will not act to realize these wants. If we take a quick look at India's historical relation to the US and Russia, we can see that following India's independence, we almost directly enter into the Cold War. And during the Cold War, India adopted an official policy of non-alignment. But in reality, they were much closer to Russia than the US. As the US backed the rival country of Pakistan, in this case, 
And the interesting thing is that this has been a long-running contention in India because many Indian leaders have still harbored reservations against the West and the United States, uh, believing that a U.S. military action during one of the wars with Pakistan led to India not being able to realize a sufficient enough victory. And that has been a continuing issue in U.S.-Indian relations. And as a strategical thing as well, India does not want to be seen as a junior partner partner against the U.S. And they are therefore very mindful of being independent from the U.S. Yet we see now that the Biden administration has made very grand moves towards securing India as an allied actor in the region, especially since India is very well situated near both, yeah, primarily China. And they have therefore proposed a potential 500 million US dollars arms deal to pull India closer to the US. So what has India done in the current situation with Ukraine? Well, we can look at the beginning of the war where India fries abstained from United Nations resolutions that served to condemn Russia for its actions in Ukraine. And India also sought to keep its trade with Russia flowing and yeah, uh, moving past the sanctions uh, placed on Russia. And we can also see that, as we will return to, India has be, has become a major importer of uh, Russian oil since they've been giving a very profitable price on Russian oil to keep both economies going, as well as trying to avoid some of the uh, sanctions placed on Russia. So the thing I think is the most interesting thing is that, and almost the most understandable thing that explains India's statement on the war, is that... Uh, India is very militarily dependent on Russia and by extension the Soviet Union, at least in its previous form, uh, consider that, and now I'm quoting Felix K. Shang from the Foraging Policy Research Institute, about 97% of India's main rail tanks, 100% of its armored fighting vehicles, 67% of its submarines, 68% of its anti-ship cruise missiles, and 97% of its fighter aircraft were acquired from Russia or its predecessor, the Soviet Union. That is a lot. Yeah, that's a <laughs> major part. And um, although India stepped away from Russia in the last decade, we can still see that India is uh, has Russia as the main supplier, supplying 46% of all arms to Russia. And as we know with Soviet equipment, or as we have learned from the conflict in Ukraine, it can break down. And in that case, you want the people that are specialized in repairing it, in this case, Russia. Mm. So it's a very relevant alliance. And there's also very many economical aspects like gas import and oil import that India seeks to capitalize on. So this makes sense. Also, when you consider China, it's good mm. to have Russia in your own corner. And therefore, it's good for India to be a little bit more um, closer to Russia in this case. And I find this especially interesting as a Swede, seeing that we are arguably moving away from our long-held position of neutral, since the Swedish government has now applied for NATO membership. And I wonder if it could be more accurate to describe a neutral government as self-interested first and foremost. But we are running out of time, and I'm sure that we'll go back to this um, towards the end of the show. Radio UF at Studentradio 98.9. You just heard Get to the Point by Sikkan. And we are going to keep on talking a little bit about India, specifically the heat wave that's been striking the country and as well as some other effects that this uh, disaster has had. 
there has been a recent decision in India to severely restrict what uh, yeah wheat exports. Uh, the partly due to the massive heat wave that has driven up the, gro- the global prices for wheat, but also due to the war in Ukraine. And that has affected both wheat production in Russia and in Ukraine, who are the main suppliers of wheat. And since the government in India is the world's second largest wheat producer after China, the export ban has had major effects on the global market. And there's also similar effects across the globe. Yeah, I mean, I saw that uh, Kazakhstan also has uh, banned wheat exports for three months. They're not sure what's going to happen with that uh, after the that time period. They are a very large uh, exporter of wheat to the other Central Asian uh, neighboring countries. And so I saw that Tajikistan, the president there, has gone out and urged people to stock up on food. And he said that it could be good to stock up on food for up to two years. And yeah, Tajikistan is the one of the poorest uh, Central Asian countries. So it will be interesting to see how how that affects it. I uh, also found a similar thing when uh, researching East Timor because their neighboring country, Indonesia, they have implemented uh, a ban on exports of palm oil. And this is also an attempt to try to curb uh, prices and assure that the local population has access to it. Uh, But the move has received a lot of critique, because as the war in Ukraine does not seem to near an end, fear for a global food crisis has increased. And we're seeing it already with rising food prices. And since Ukraine was a large exporter of sunflower oil, the prices of vegetable oil, a product people all over the world are dependent on, has risen. So Indonesia's move has really sparked concern around the world that this will negatively affect the world economy and food security. But there are also like local concerns so from palm oil farmers, because especially the small-scale farmers are now struggling because they can't export anymore and does not sell their product in the same amount. And of course, the prices has already dropped a lot. And many may not have another source of income. And I read an interesting article on uh, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace written by Trin Nguyen. And she put it very clearly. She said that basically as food prices rises as a consequence of the war in Ukraine, Indonesia will import food that is becoming more expensive while exporting for less. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like the market is in the state of the world very unpredictable and maybe this move will actually benefit the Indonesian population as a whole since it does plummet the prices domestically. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not great at economics. <laughs> Me but, either. <laughs> uh, uh, it seems to be a major deficit in that case that mm. you buy for more, you sell for less. And uh, as we see, everything is kind of connected worldwide and uh, um, deficits in one area can cause stockpiling in one other country and that could cause economic effects that leads to depressions in countries and far-reaching economic consequences and um, I we will return to this as well but uh, yeah everything is much more interconnected than one might first assume yeah it is but now it's time for a break Okay, you heard Half a Heart Beating by Esther. You're listening to Radio UF at Studentradion 98.9. And moving on, shout out to our broadcaster Melina for giving us a write-up on the current situation in Turkmenistan. She couldn't join us here in the studio today, but uh, we are going to dive into this very interesting country. 
So there has been a change of government in Turkmenistan. There was a set of elections in March the 12th, 2022. And Serdar Berdi Mohamedov, um, sorry <laughs> for the pronunciation, has succeeded his father, Gurbanguly Berdi Mohamedov. Yes. Very and, good. Yeah, thank you. Mm. As president of Turkmenistan and head of the Central Asian States. The interesting thing is this is very much a political dynasty and it's very much a dictatorship. We have seen a very unexpected wait for the election results. Serdar won with 73% of the votes against eight other candidates. Uh, but no election has been considered genuine in Turkmenistan since 1991. And the political situation is therefore very unique. Although the, the, the 2016 constitution declares Turkmenistan to be secular and a democracy, the country has an authoritarian government controlled by the president uh, and its inner circle. And uh, it has a very long history of this repressive um, dictatorship. And along with North Korea, Turkmenistan is considered to have one of the most restrictive political systems in the world. Under its ultra-centralized regime, human rights and civil liberties are not respected. And every noteworthy project requires direct personal contact with and approval from the president, his deputy prime minister or ministers. There is also no free press, no independent judiciary, no NGOs allowed, no freedom of movement and no political opposition of any kind. Freedom House reports that the political rights and civil liberties are almost completely denied in practice. And Turkmenistan does not tolerate any kind of political opposition. They are met with threats, harassments. We also see that this is targeted against relatives of dissidents that live abroad. We even see cases of arrests and torture of individuals that exercise the rights to freedom of association. We also see that access to internet is strictly limited, including a toll ban on social media platforms, which can explain why we don't hear so much from this country. Mm, yeah, it's definitely a country that you never really hear anything on if you're not following it uh, yeah. actively. But I think there's a lot to learn about it. This gas-rich country has been in a severe economic crisis since 2015. And uh, this is due to misguided economic policies, especially those ex- pertaining to monetary and foreign exchange. Because uh, these have led to further worsening and uh, of the already difficult socioeconomic situation in the country. Uh, because uh, for people in Turkmenistan, the socioeconomic situation has worsened during the COVID-19 pandemic and also with the increasing food prices that we've already mentioned repeatedly. And this leads to a growing number of people leaving the country to find a better life elsewhere. And the growing immigration is both because of economic and political reasons, as Turkmen authorities crack down hard on any opposition, like Melker mentioned. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, we also see that women's rights are being rolled back into uh, or including tight regulation on women's appearance and their freedom of movement, including a ban on certain clothing and a decree that forbids you from driving women in cars unless you're related to them. To my understanding, taxis have have an exception for this, but women cannot be in the front seat of the taxi. Yeah. So it's a real rollback and it's hard to um, imagine any real major changes when it's such a political dynasty handover. Mm. And um, we might take this later, but there's an interesting thing to dig into regarding uh, dictators and delusions of grandeur and uh, the implications of the changing presidency. Should we perhaps take it after? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Great.
All the Young on the Outskirts, and you just heard their song Ice Age. And continuing on on our discussion of Turkmenistan. Yeah, so uh, forget Las Vegas, discover Ashgabat. Because in the heart of the Karakum Desert, the Turkmen capital is an oasis just covered in gold and marble. Uh, a lot of marble. From the simple bus stop to hotel palaces, the city is entirely made out of this luxurious white stone. And uh, fun fact, this capital was included in Guinness World Records in 2013 as having the most marble buildings than any other city in the world. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's a very specific world record. It is a very specific world record. Um, I don't know if any other city is even close to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. Um, but uh, so why why is this? Well, it's partly because the president, Berdi Mohamedov, considers black unlucky. Uh, and this is, yeah, him and his father that was also named Berdi Mohamedov, of course, that ruled for some time in Turkmenistan. But uh, yeah, and he has also, for the same reason, banned black cars from the capital. Uh, so I think this is a good example on how, like, how much power this political elite has in this country, and also how like extravagant they seem to be. Because in the break here, we were googling on how to pronounce his name, and uh, pictures came up of you know him in a sports car, like you said. Matt yeah, yeah. And... It was a picture of him like really doing a Top Gear. Uh, drive around in uh, uh, this super luxurious <laughs> car and uh, as well as a link to a rap video that he was featuring. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it's interesting with dictators because uh, Turkmenistan has a long history of them. Um, going back to uh, Niyazov, their dictator that was in power for 25 years circa oh. before this current dynasty. And it was um, it's very interesting about dictators because they don't really have any stop blocks. So this person has... An interesting history with a lot of interesting moves. He built a lot of statues, including a gold-plated one in the capital that was designed to turn to face the sun during the day. Mm. And during, of course, very dire circumstances economically for the population. And uh, I'm not sure what it is with dictators that makes them just go absolutely wild on these kinds of things. Yeah, maybe it's like uh, we talked about this a little bit before, but then we said like if if you've made everyone so scared to say anything mm. that's disagreeing with you, maybe like everyone acts like all your ideas are really good, so maybe you just yeah, yeah. don't even know that they're maybe not yeah, exactly. reasonable. No one there's oppose you, and that's that, the, it, there's some interesting implications with the change of presidency mm. because despite not having a dictator for life we can kind of expect it to keep going in this way when you have such a firm political system in place. And if the current political system massively benefits the elites in charge, then that might not change at all. So you kind of have to wait for um, changing circumstances among mm. the population. But in a dictatorship, that is uh, very, very dangerous, to say the least. Yeah, so. in a closed country like this also. Mm -hmm. But uh, Melker, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think, because I think we see this a lot with dictators, they get, uh, you know, power crazy. Yeah. Uh, do you think you would become power crazy if you were in their shoes? Uh, <laughs> that's that's a good question. Um, I've, what's that? Uh, ultimate power corrupts ultimately. Like, uh, mm. I think basically anyone who gets to have so many lives under their control during mm. an indefinite amount will turn kind of crazy. There aren't okay. really any good 
dictators for life. <laughs> it's probably my uncontroversial stance on this one. Okay. How, yeah. Do you do you think that you agree? Or? I mean, I hope I wouldn't become like that, but <laughs> it's hard yeah. to know because I I probably will never be in that situation. But uh, it's a good thing to think about at least. Yeah, yeah. Consider consider how you would rule. It's an interesting thought experiment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, short break. Then we'll be back. Ingen är kär i år av Hrulan. And shout out to the people tuning in from Denmark. Loads of love to all of you from Radio UF at Studentradio 98.9. And we have been, we see a pattern here, kind of. Uh, we see that there's a large movement in the world regarding food and oil insecurity and how a lot of countries are very, very dependent on trade to be functioning. And when the international market is disrupted by things like the war um, in Ukraine and Russia, we are bound to see some effects that are not pleasant at all. Yeah, and this was something that we, when we were both doing research for this, we came back to this. We didn't even discuss that we were going to take this angle first. But when we compared notes, we realized that, oh, this is a problem in Mm -hmm. many countries or a fear in many countries. And also here, I think, uh, with the rising food prices and uh, yeah. everything. Yeah, no one goes um, goes without noticing it. Mm. And uh, it's a real, uh, like, lack of food is a really bad thing when you see at global stability. Like, every person is three square meals away from a revolution or whatever that saying is. Mm. And um, I think it will have great effects. And especially with the oil trade, I'm not as into that as the trade for food but um, that as well can have major effects for the climate and uh, yeah yeah i was uh, thinking about that because we're so privileged here in sweden because i couldn't even imagine like going to the store and mm-hmm. not being able to yeah, buy yeah. the food that i want you yeah. know and like we might have to pay five kroner more mm. for flour like that's basically nothing compared to some of these countries that will have a yeah nothing at all yeah And also, like, a lot of countries that already do have big problems with this, of course. Yeah, it will be Um, even worse. Yeah. And um, we we talked about that as well, that we can find another link here that uh, uh, regarding neutrality, like, the whole realist view of the Mm. international system, like, are we all just selfish countries that are not interested in anything but our own well-being? And, mm, uh, (laughs) see some signs. (laughs) Yeah, because we were thinking about um, non-neutral countries might not be the best term, more like uh, non-aligned, because when we look at our own primary interests, like Sweden and Finland, looks to be joining NATO, depending on what Turkey says about it. And um, India is kind of neutral, but they have their own interests, and therefore they lean toward Russia. And I I would say that Sweden as well is more uh, neutral because it suits them, rather Mm. than this dedication to neutrality. And um, that's kind of my view of the international system. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I agree to a certain extent, at least. Uh, And I think, you know, I've just been thinking about it a lot because now we hear every day about this neutrality or the supposed neutrality that Sweden has. And I was reading a really interesting uh, article in uh, Svenska Dagbladet written by Ulla Gudmundsson. Mm -hmm. And she is a Swedish diplomat. And uh, she was uh, mentioning this about neutrality. And she said that in Sweden, neutrality is... It's about that every government ultimately has a responsibility or an obligation to uh, protect its population from war or keep it its population from from war, 
Um, and uh, she said that, uh, quote, the politics were not always heroic and not always moral, but it was pragmatic, unquote, uh, end quote. Uh, so, I mean, maybe that also has something to do with it and maybe self-interest is like a better way to think of it, but I don't know. Yeah, and like in society, we see that if we only go by self-interest, it's it's going to mm. end bad in some <laughs> way. Uh, so even though self-interest might be a thing that exists in the international community, mm. I would say that it's for everyone's better if we cooperate more, make sure that we have each other's backs. Yeah. Cool. Uh, short pause, and then we'll move on to the outro. Welcome back to Studentraden 98.9. We are Radio UF, and you just heard Ain't No Thief by Viagra Boys, the best punk band in Sweden, according to me at least. <laughs> and uh, we are concluding our episodes, and it's been an interesting look, and mm. it's kind of reinforced our view of the world that everything is interconnected in one way or another. Mm. And uh, for next week's episode is our last for the semester but we will uh, be back after that but next week we'll have a little bit of a look of the positive news in the world and um, also a bit of a gala we will be handing out some prizes for some interesting political things you'll have to tune in next week to find out and we would like to ask you to follow us on instagram at radio uf for pictures from the studio Um, get some visual aid to (laughs) <laughs> merge with the sound of my voice uh, cool and uh, do we have anything more that we want to bring up I think that's it thank you so much for listening everybody and uh, yeah like Melker said we will be back next week for the last episode of the semester but then we will be back next year also so yeah, you don't have to wait too long wonderful alright uh, have a good one everyone alright bye see ya bye <laughs> Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Och kom ihåg att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större.